Welcome to The Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. This week in The Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, I'm Kevin McCullough, and it's great to be with you. This week, Vladimir Putin sends Russian troops to Ukraine. Why is Putin moving now? He doesn't want that thriving, democratic, wonderful country on his border because he absolutely believes that is a threat to his own power and his own regime in Russia. Why is it that the Russian strongman feels he can get away with it? What's really missing here is the long history of the West essentially inviting aggression through weakness. Vladimir Putin addresses his people. How best can we understand where Russia's aggression may lead? The only place to be for understanding this war is inside Russian President Vladimir Putin's head. We've got all this and more. I'm Kevin McCullough, your host, coming to you from my home stations in New York City, where you can hear my program live each weekday afternoon at AM 570 The Mission and am570themission.com. Take a moment to follow Christian Outlook on Twitter at TC Outlook. That's TC Outlook. You can follow me on Instagram at KMC Radio. And you can get my daily podcast on any podcast server that services podcasts. Just look for Kevin McCullough Radio. Great to be with you. We'll begin with Russia's military action against Ukraine. After months of military buildup and speculation about whether he'd act and what he'd do, Putin began by annexing Donetsk and Luhansk, two regions where Russian-backed separatists have fueled conflict since Putin's last territorial acquisition of Crimea in 2014. What we're looking at is likely the most significant military conflict in Europe since the Second World War. I turned to retired U.S. Army general and regular on my program, General Jack Keane. Why is this so important to Putin? You've got NATO countries bordering every side of Ukraine. And he's always complained about the reason he didn't want Ukraine to become part of NATO was because then NATO would be on his doorstep. If he annexes Ukraine, he has the same issue. You know, you're absolutely right. In my view, the Putin's thought process here is, is twofold. One, he wrote a very interesting article that he had a lot of that he, he penned himself. I don't think he wrote the whole article, but he, he certainly in, introduced his own thoughts last July um, 21. It was about 5,000 words, and it really established uh, in his mind why Ukraine is so important to him uh, uh, because of the history, the culture. He actually believes Ukraine has always really been a part of Russia. and But that that's one thing. But the second thing, and this is this is more important, is that what what's happening here, this is the second largest country in Europe, Ukraine. And they are moving uh, as an independent country. They're a fledgling democracy. Um, they, they're challenged by corruption in their government, but they've been working to get rid of it. And their potential uh, for prosperity and to, and to thrive is pretty significant. And it, and it is why the leaders of that country, three of the three governments, uh, anti-Russian governments, have been in power since uh, Yanukovych, the Russian stooge that was running the country prior to 2014, was run out by his own people. And all three of these governments, with Zelensky, the current president, being the most aggressive, had wanted wants Ukraine to integrate with the West. He doesn't want, Kevin, that thriving, democratic, uh, uh, wonderful country, uh, as large as that country is, on his border, 
having those attributes because he he absolutely believes that is a threat to his own power and his own regime in, in Russia. Simply because of their success, not because they would pose a military threat or a threat no. of, of anything like that. It's just it's a contrast. They're succeeding. We're not. My people are going to be unhappy with me. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. This is an authoritarian, dictatorial regime now. It's, a, it's the same thing that President Xi felt with Hong Kong. Why did he cut Hong Kong off 25 years into an agreement, a treaty that they had made with the United Kingdom, and crushed that democracy? He did it because he was afraid of its impact on mainland China. Hmm. He wanted to bring it under its orbit and stop having that example out there of a democracy just off his shore that was thriving and doing so well internationally. And Putin has the same mindset here when it comes to Ukraine. If Putin is of mind to uh, create uh, military conflict uh, through occupation, and I I get the feeling, General, I may be completely wrong, I get the feeling the Ukrainians are not going to go down quietly. If that is in fact the case, what does uh, China and, and Mr. Xi think about that window of opportunity? Do they move on Taiwan at that time? Well, I think what they, they're certainly looking at this, and, and it's great that you're bringing it up because they're, Russia and China, you know, for our audience to understand, they, they've established a, a relatively informal alliance uh, between the two of them, largely because uh, of a common adversary in the United States, and they're both having a desire to change the international order, which they think has favored the United States and the West and their democratic allies at the expense of, of other countries, namely theirs. Well, I don't believe that President Xi would move on Taiwan in, in the near term. Obviously, uh, he's finishing up the Olympics tomorrow. Uh, he's going to bask in the in the glory of that for some time. He, this. Later this year, the National Party Congress is going to meet, which will enshrine him uh, likely uh, for another five-year term as their chairman. So I don't see anything happening in that near term. This has got to have some impact on him, how Ukraine turns out, for sure. So why is it that Vladimir Putin thinks he can invade Ukraine and get away with it? President Biden, after all, when he was a candidate, boasted that he was the only person in this field who's ever gone toe-to-toe with Putin. Thus far, the U.S. response has been last-minute sanctions matched by stern words from our commander-in-chief. Putin did not seem the least bit deterred. Inez Stepman is a senior policy analyst with the Independent Women's Forum and host of the High Noon podcast. She's also a regular on my program in New York City. Uh, war in the Ukraine, it is, uh, it's underway. I mean, I don't know how you would describe it any uh, less than that. Uh, Russians have taken uh, offensive positions into what they have deemed are separatist uh, outliers of the uh, Ukrainian geography and saying that uh, they're there with um, the permission of the local governments. They're saying the same thing about Belarus uh, to the north and Crimea to the south of Ukraine. So it's it's a very uh, complex situation, and Ukraine is in deep trouble. Uh, what will happen? What, how, will, how will the world uh, respond? How are we responding? Let's talk about this with today's uh, bright email editor, Inez Stepman, uh, doing the Wednesday edition there. She started joining us when uh, Kelsey Bowler needed some time off for her uh, motherly uh, duties, but she may be rejoining us soon. And then we get two of the uh, five editors joining us on a regular basis. Inez, always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for being back. Um, 
what is the what, for as best as you can understand how is the world responding to what seems to me to have been a very clear intent well articulated by Putin quite directly what's really missing here is is the the long history of of the west um essentially inviting <laughs> inviting aggression through weakness um and and despite all of the critiques that we heard during the Trump administration, oh, Trump says nice things about Putin. Um, you know, of course, there was the the fallacious Russiagate, um, you know, uh, furor that went on for years and years, finally culminating with a big fat nothing. Um, and and yet, what actually is happening is that under first actually under the Obama administration, um, and then under the Biden administration, uh, the U.S. has invited incursions from Russia. Now, there's a very reasonable conversation to be had about, you know, um, where American interests lie, whether how much our interests lie with with um, a, a people trying to keep their borders, language and culture halfway around the world against aggressive um, outside forces. Um, but I, I, I think the larger picture for the United States here is after Afghanistan, after this, um, it's certainly an invitation to China and Taiwan as well. Uh, we, we have to uh, confront the fact that we can't forever uh, take a vacation from global affairs in order to, um, you know, endlessly uh, prosecute a sort of woke culture war at home. Um, unfortunately, world events don't don't allow us to uh, and that's, divide it out among ourselves first. And you're the first person I've heard, but that's how you definitively see this uh, kind of uh, dividing of duties, uh, the the taking care of the world uh, national security issues versus the woke domestic policies. I think that's a very astute observation, actually. And I think that you've also seen this administration be somewhat cowardly. But but trying to feign courage in the process, the, the 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 press conference from the vice president over last weekend was it was utterly embarrassing. Um, she could not explain her way out of a paper bag, but she tried to make this this statement of how they had led the world to come together and to stand united in whatever. And Putin laughed at him and said, go. Yeah, I mean, uh, at some point, the rubber meets the road. At some point, a lot of this um, fantastical notions of of um sort of the, the u.s military for the last five or seven years has seemed more concerned with uh you know various identity quotas than than it has with uh being prepared for a major war yeah. look um russia russia is no by no means like a match for the united states but it is a, a nuclear power with a serious military um and the united states isn't prepared for great power conflict and not not even with russia um, but certainly not with China. And, and that's I mean, that's that's the problem. And I, I really don't know. Um, unfortunately, the, 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 the wokeness at home isn't irrelevant. It isn't irrelevant to our uh, to our military preparations. And more importantly, it isn't irrelevant to the fact that Americans don't have the, the energy um, to, to to turn their um, attentions abroad to sort of great power politics. Uh, because they feel that their own administration is prosecuting them at home. And, it, and right. I think it gives a lot of Americans uh, pause. Well, now. we do know this clearly, though, and that is that uh, under Obama, Crimea was annexed. Uh, and under Biden, it looks like Ukraine is going to be fully invaded. And uh, for some reason, during Trump's years, none of that 
uh, was on the table. Like it, uh, it just mysteriously went away. And I don't know if that's because Putin just thought Trump was crazy and he couldn't predict who he would be, or if he really, you know, felt like that there was something that he needed to be respectful to Trump about. I, and I don't personally care if you think that we're crazy enough that you're afraid of us. I'm okay with that too, because the world is safer the more that America is feared. If the Germans. Uh, you know, with with their dependence on Russian gas and and their general limp-wristed, uh, you know, sort of attempts at restraining Russia in the past, if even the Germans beat us to the punch on any kind of sanctions for yeah. this move, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it really does make us question. You know, okay, who's actually the the leader of the West? Right? Is it is it the EU? Um, as pathetic as that would sound, because it doesn't seem like America's actions are in any way the most relevant factor and consideration in all of this, regardless of how you feel about Ukraine. That's a problem. Coming up, Putin speaks to his own people. The only place to be for understanding this war is inside Russian President Vladimir Putin's head. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy believes in the calling to politics and public service. As one of the few programs of its kind based at a leading Christian university, we prepare students for exciting careers in this vital arena through a curriculum that combines rigorous study of America's founding principles with the latest tools of policy analysis. The application period for fall 2022 classes has begun. So find out more at pepperdine.edu spp. That's pepperdine.edu spp. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Kevin McCullough. On Monday this past week, President Putin addressed his people for a full hour. What it provided for us is a window into the mind of a leader who has clearly become much more aggressive in his aspirations for Russia to retain greatness, at least in the eyes of his own people. Here's Albert Moeller from his briefing podcast. So Vladimir Putin has finally played out his hand. But he did so while he also offered a very clear manifesto delivered in a speech that lasted for a full hour in which he gave not only his understanding of the current situation and his current imperialist claims, but he also made clear his understanding of the world. For about an hour, he presented the world, the world according to Vladimir Putin. He began by speaking of Ukraine as not even a real country. He said this, quote, I would like to emphasize once again that Ukraine is not just a neighboring country for us. It is an integral part of our own history, culture, and spiritual space. It is our friends, our relatives, not only colleagues, friends, and former work colleagues. I'm going to interject here. He speaks of this as a former KGB agent lamenting the breakup of the USSR. But he goes on to say that these are our relatives and close family members. Now, he's speaking of that. You can hear the kind of emotional language. Language he's building up, and he said, quote, Since the oldest times, the inhabitants of the southwestern historical territories of ancient Russia have called themselves Russians and Orthodox Christians. It was the same in the 17th century when a part of these territories was reunited with the Russian state, and even after that, it seems to us that in principle we all know this, that we're talking about known facts. However, in order to understand what is happening today, to understand the motives of Russian actions and the goals we have set, it is necessary to say at least a few words about the history of the issue, end quote. And then he went on to claim that Ukraine was simply invented by Russia. 
The speech did go on for an hour, so I can make reference to only small parts of it, but I have to make a descriptive reference of the whole. It was Vladimir Putin's understanding of the world in which he basically says that he is willing to forego Leninist communism in order to regain Soviet glory, the glory of what had been the Russian Empire and later became the Soviet Union, and all of that was lost after 1989 and the breakup of the Soviet Union, which he sees as an epic world disaster that came with the humiliation of Russia and the separation of Russia from the other Russias. That would be its larger provinces, its sphere of influence, what we have said the Russians call the near abroad. Vladimir Putin is entirely responsible for his actions. And like so many autocrats seeking to gain conquest, they simply lie. Vladimir Putin lies about history here. Now, he's not lying entirely, as I've explained on the briefing. There is a history here, but it's a history that Vladimir Putin is contorting through the lens of his own personal ambition. It is a history that is tailor-made and completely constructed in order to offer a justification to the Russian people, if not to the world, of why Russia is taking these actions. But there's something else that Americans generally just don't understand. Europeans also share in that lack of understanding. And by that, I mean modern Europeans living today and modern Americans living today who did not live through the 20th century. We often wonder, why do people, why do nations, why do political leaders act differently than we would act, than we would expect our government leaders to act, than anyone could act in the Western world and get away with it? And one of the answers has to be that different cultures have different expectations about leadership. So let me just remind you of one chapter in Russian history that turns out to be really, really important right now. The first ruler to declare himself the czar of all the Russias was a czar by the name of Ivan the Terrible. His rule was in the 16th century from 1547 to 1575. Ivan was the prince of Muscovy, think Moscow, but he had ambitions for a larger Russia, and he also understood by his own theory that Russia had to be led by an autocratic strongman. So Ivan the Terrible was a Muscovy prince who declared himself to be the ruler not only of Russia, but of larger Russia. He declared himself the czar, which means the king emperor of Russia, the autocratic ruler. And he established an understanding of Russia that continued through other phases that are understood as Russian glory, Peter the Great, Catherine the Great. And it would come down to what is still remembered by some as the claims of Soviet glory as well. Now, by the way, because I think you will be interested in this, when Ivan the Terrible gained the name of Ivan the Terrible, we need to understand that this is at least in part a translation issue. He was terrible. He did rule by terror. But in the English language at the time of Ivan the Terrible, terrible in English actually meant something closer to the formidable or the invincible. Now, there was a moral aspect to this. There was an aspect of a very sinister and very autocratic rule. But nonetheless, Ivan the Terrible was remembered by the Russian people not with terror, but with national pride. And by the way, many Russian leaders throughout history, including some known as the Great, just think of Peter the Great, they put down insurrections and they destroyed their political enemies, sometimes with mass acts of murder in order to use terror as an instrument of the state. And of course, that became perfected in the most evil way during the time of the KGB and the Soviet Union. Many Christians and others in the West look at the actions of Vladimir Putin in Russia and just wonder, how does he get away with that? 
Doesn't he worry about what the world thinks? And the answer is no. He primarily thinks about what the Russian people think. That's what he's worried about. And he's thinking about the fact that Russia has no future, in his view, unless it becomes a greater Russia and regains at least a large part, if not all, of the territory and the prestige as he sees Russia as having during the time of the USSR. Thomas L. Friedman in the New York Times also offers a very interesting assessment when he writes about the message that Vladimir Putin is sending not only to Ukraine, but to other portions of the world that had formerly been a part of greater Russia. Speaking of Ukraine's flirtation, as Putin would have it, with the European Union, with the United States, with the West, with NATO... He has Vladimir Putin saying to Ukraine, quote, you fell in love with the wrong guy. You will not run off with either NATO or the European Union. And if I have to club your government to death and drag you back home, I will, end quote. But something else Christians need to think about is the fact that what you do see here is the danger underlined once again of an autocracy, of an autocrat in power, of what amounts to a totalitarian government and a military state. And not only that, but a military state unbound by modern conceptions or Christian conceptions of how a society should work, how a government should work. You're talking about a man who really is the singular leader of virtually every dimension of Russia. And we understand that given the Christian doctrine of sin, that is an extremely dangerous and inherently deadly proposition. Thus, whether you're talking about American presidents, whether it be Franklin Roosevelt or Ronald Reagan, or for that matter, Donald Trump or Barack Obama or Joe Biden, what they think and what they decide has a very important role to play in world history. But they don't get to decide anything in America's constitutional order that Vladimir Putin gets to decide unilaterally all the time just as that picture showed in Monday's address when he was sitting alone in that vast hall behind a desk, simply speaking, to Russia, for Russia, as Russia. Thomas Friedman began his essay with these words, quote, When a major conflict like Ukraine breaks out, journalists always ask themselves, where should I station myself? Kiev, Moscow, Munich, Washington? In this case, writes Friedman, quote, my answer is none of those. The only place to be for understanding this war is inside Russian President Vladimir Putin's head. That's right. He said the only place in which we can find an understanding for what's going on in Ukraine it is not in Ukraine, it's not in Russia, it's in Vladimir Putin's head. Coming up, an appreciation of grace. You don't read the Bible to placate the ogre in the sky. It's, it's the bread of life. You're not trying to bribe God to be nice to you when you pray. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. It's a look at today's most compelling stories and provides responses from key conservatives in media and politics. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Kevin McCullough. Brian Chappell is the host of the radio program Unlimited Grace, heard on many of the stations that carry our program across the nation. The program in the title Unlimited Grace was born out of Brian's deeper and life-transforming appreciation of what God has done for us, his work on our behalf through the sacrifice of his son. 
Brian was a guest of Tim DeMoss, my colleague on AM560 WFIL in Philadelphia. What the Lord did was he just he began to show me through the writings of a man I came to love, Sidney Gradanus, that if you actually go looking for heroes in the Bible, you're not going to find one except one named Jesus, and everybody else needs him. But if God could still use people as messed up as those in the Bible, maybe he still got a plan for you. And I not only saw that begin to change people in my church, it was the message I desperately needed. I mean, I was leaving the ministry. I was I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I wasn't even out in my 20s, and I believed I was a failure. And what the Lord did with his word was to say, hey, if I can use messes like David and Abraham and so many of the people of the Bible, then there's still a plan for you. And that not only gave hope back to my people, it gave hope back to me and everything I've done in life. You you even said it uh, since that time. What I've written, what I've preached, what I've tried to do in broadcasting is say the grace of the Lord is not just your hope, it's your strength. And if you're filled up with the grace of God, the Lord will give you the joy that is your strength. Even in a tough world, in a tough place, he's still there for you. And that's why I talk a lot about grace, not to give people license, to give people strength. I want to commend folks to your website, brianchapel.com, Brian with a Y, C-H-A-P-E-L-L. So one P, two L's, brianchapel.com. There's a Walking in Grace video series there, and and one of them talks, it's called Messed Up, uh, which is a great (laughs) aspect of it, right? I don't know if you want to share a little piece of that. Thank you, Tim. That's done by a wonderful friend of mine, but the very same thing that I went through. I was I was raised in a church background which says, you know, you straighten up, fly right, and God love you for that. And, you know, why do you read the Bible? Uh, why do you pray? Why do you go to church? Well, you know, you you, you got to keep the ogre in the sky off your back, so, you know, keep him happy. Mm. And I had to learn, listen, you don't read the Bible to placate the ogre in the sky. It's it's the bread of life. You're not trying to bribe God to be nice to you when you pray. You you're, have the ability to go to the king of the universe, who's making all things work together for your good. This, this is not a burden. This is a privilege. Does it get easier? Do you find in time then, since, the, since that changeover, is it easier for you to, uh, that, that grace comes easier to you? Or do you find that potentially striving or still feeling God is a certain way creeps back in. Well, I like just the way you said it. I think it creeps back in. I think mentally, you know, those who have been trained in the Bible and and in church settings, they kind of get what grace is supposed to be. I mean, how many times do we say you're saved by grace and not by your works? What is grace? Unconditional affection. We all know the words. We all know the concepts. But we're so human that every human instinct is to say, well, what do I have to do to make God happy, though? I mean, how do I stay on his good side? Yeah. And the, the idea that you have to bribe him with, you know, all the prayer and and Bible reading and being nice to people so he'll be nice instead of saying, no, 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 wait a second. He already gave his son for you. He, you were you already perfect in his sight. God has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified, says the writer of Hebrews. And when we know that, it just changes our perception. But the old thinking is always creeping back in. Well, what do you got to do? How much you got to do to make sure that God will be nice to you? Yeah. And uh, my, my little example is is often, you know, like people who are trying to pray God to pay him off so he'll, he'll be nice to them. I said, no, 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 wait a second. Remember what the Apostle Paul said there in Romans 8. We don't even know how to pray. 
So how how are you going to yeah right? Going to bribe God with what you don't even know? We don't even know how to pray. So what does God do? Well, what happens is this: the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans too deep to utter, and God, who knows the mind of the Spirit, responds in such a way that all things work together for good. And what that means is when I pray, I'm not bribing God; I'm receiving from God the blessings. And and far from trying to you know do this awful thing, I'm going to have to take time to pray, you know, you're saying, no, 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 you are, you are praying to the God who loves you and is going to provide for you. I remember those famous words of Charles Spurgeon, the, the, the great preacher. He upset his people one day. He said, you know, he said, I hardly ever pray more than five minutes. And then he said, or go five minutes without praying. Uh, <laughs> and I great. loved it because it's, it's like, it's just this conversation with the God who loves you. If you perceive it that way, you're shooting up those arrow prayers all the time. Yeah. You know, in the in the conversation with the boss and in the difficulty with your mom, whatever it is, you're saying, "Lord, help me. Lord, walk with me," and believing the Holy Spirit is interceding for you and making it better than you can pray. Coming up, how do you prepare yourself to be used by God? You need to be a vessel for honorable use. You're set apart for God's purposes to be holy. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy believes in the calling to politics and public service. As one of the few programs of its kind based at a leading Christian university, we prepare students for exciting careers in this vital arena through a curriculum that combines rigorous study of America's founding principles with the latest tools of policy analysis. The application period for fall 2022 classes has begun. So find out more at pepperdine.edu spp. That's pepperdine.edu spp. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Kevin McCullough. Don't waste your life. That's the title of a book by John Piper 20 years ago that became something of a classic. The notion haunts many of us today. I don't want to waste my life, and I'm pretty sure you don't want to waste yours. So how do we seek to make a difference for the kingdom in the very circumstances within which he has us right now? Chad Ashby has been thinking about this same subject. He's a pastor of a small church in Newberry, South Carolina. And he joined John Hall and Kathy Emmons on Word 101.5 FM in Pittsburgh. Chad, are you wasting your life? <laughs> I I hope not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes, you know, it can feel that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I had those moments of existential dread. I'm sitting in rush hour traffic or I'm about to fall asleep. And that nagging thing comes over you like, what am I doing? You, what are you doing? Right. This is a horrible thing. But Chad, you know, in your piece that you write, which is a wonderful piece uh, in the Gospel Coalition website, uh, you start to talk about missionaries. Right, because their lives are sacrificial and dramatic, and they seem bigger than life. But I wonder, yeah. before Jim Elliott was murdered in the jungles, I wonder if he had a thought like, I'm not going to continue on with my life. Uh, what, what was this all about? Why am I doing this? I think it's a fair question. Chat? Right. And and often with missionaries, for instance, like Jim Elliott, we know about the end of his life and how um, much of a crisis that was. But also it's sort of this um, amazing moment where he gave, gave his life for the gospel. But we don't think about all of the things along the way that prepared him for that. Mm-hmm. Things like, um, you know, he was memorizing scripture. 
he was training his body and and joined the wrestling team to become a missionary one day and was a vegetarian because he wanted to be healthy for the mission field. All of these little things he was doing that at the time maybe didn't feel like that important, but it was all preparing him for something down the road. And one of the things that I pointed out in the article is that in those seasons where we it feels things things feel really dull and same, those are actually a great opportunity to uh, start cultivating spiritual disciplines, things like Bible reading or evangelism or prayer, scripture memory, things that you can start to store up that may pay dividends on down the road when things do get exciting. Now, wait, you didn't mention Netflix in there. <laughs> As you were listing yeah. your spiritual disciplines. Yeah, um, you know, there, there's got to be room for a little, mm-hmm. uh, a little Netflix. But, you know, I was thinking uh, this afternoon, those times when we feel bored, often we reach for our, in our pockets yes. for our phone, right? Always, always. Well, what if, what if, what if instead you re- reached for a scripture memory card in that instance, you know? Yeah. Um, boredom often drives us to our phones or to Netflix, what if we took advantage of that and it drove us to prayer or to read our Bible or something else like that? Yeah. Chad, uh, Andy Crouch was with us, I don't know, maybe six months ago, and he was talking about his um, that little orange book, uh, The Tech-wise, tech, the family. TechWise Family, oh, yeah. which can really make you feel terrible about yourself. And um, <laughs> But one of the things he said in the book, and he said it on the air, he said, creativity lies on the other side of boredom. And if you never let yourself get bored, then you never will become truly creative. And I thought, isn't that amazing? We, I mean, so many of us go through life without ever allowing ourselves to even get close to bored because we always have something to take our attention. What if we didn't have that thing to take our attention? We had to slip into boredom and then something amazing happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's a great point. So you talk about one of the panaceas uh, against wasting your life is to lean into holiness, to ascribe in your life to be holy. And I, and I love the idea of that because the idea of holiness uh, from a secular age, we just choose not to be holy. We run right past holy. We are, you know, bundled up in evilness. So talk about that. What does holiness look like to you and how do you lean into that? Right. Well, one of the one of the illustrations I try to use with people when I describe what holiness means is I'll talk about how in the Old Testament they had certain utensils that could only be used for the grill at the temple. You know, you can't take the tongs from the uh, from the altar in the in the temple and take it home to make burgers mm. on on the weekend. It had to stay there. It was set apart for only God's purposes. And when we think in a New Testament sense that we ourselves are set apart, we're holy for God's purposes. And one of the things Paul talks about with Timothy in his second letter is he actually speaks of Timothy in very much the same way. He says, you need to be a vessel for honorable use. You're set apart for God's purposes to be holy. And uh, I think that one of the things we say, well, I, I don't want to waste my life. I want God to use me. Well, what are you doing to make yourself ready for God to use you, and really holiness is readiness. I like that. Holiness is readiness. Right. So then how do we, how do we become holy? What, what's the book? We, um, we do a class here on spiritual disciplines, and the key verse we use, and I love the King James Version, is exercise thyself unto godliness. Hmm. And we think of exercise in modern American um, culture 
certainly involves some sort of discipline, but for some reason when we think about our Christian lives and we talk about being disciplined to grow in our spiritual lives, we think, oh, that's not, that's not the way we should think of it. But these things, like you said, regular prayer, daily reading of God's Word, certainly scripture memorization, um, these other things are, are tools God's given us to help us grow in holiness. Mm, that's good. Okay, so how do you know if you're wasting your life? Uh, how about this? You talk about being faithful in that so you don't waste your life. W- what does faithfulness look like? How do we be faithful to eradicate the waste in our lives? Well, I think one of the things that uh, can distract us and make us feel like we're wasting our life is uh, by comparison. So you are a mom of one, and you look at a mother of five who's also running the women's ministry, who's Mm -hmm. also volunteering, you know, at the local homeless shelter and is doing somehow juggling all these things, and you can barely hold together a household of three. And you think, well, certainly I'm wasting my time. Look at all she's been entrusted with, and God's only given me one. And Jesus tells a parable uh, we're all familiar with, the parable of the talents. Um, The thing that Jesus says the master uh, is concerned about, though, is not the return. It's have you been faithful with what you've been given. So you didn't expect the person with one talent to return the same amount as the person with five. But have you been faithful with what you've been given? I'm I'm pastoring here at a a very small church here down in Newberry, South Carolina. It can be easy to think, well... (laughs) I'm wasting my life here with a, a church of 50 people, but I'm, I'm not uh, going to be judged by how many people God's entrusted to me. It's have I been faithful with the ones he's given mm-hmm. me to shepherd them well. Coming up, living today with a hope that God is using us for his good purposes. We just never know how God may use us. Often it's only in hindsight we realize. A few more minutes with Chad Ashby. Stay with us for the final segment of The Christian Outlook. My life flows on in song. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Kevin McCullough. As we think about God's ultimate purpose for our lives, it's easy for us to assume that whatever that purpose is, it has to be something different than where I am right now. But that might not be the case. Let's return to John and Kathy's conversation with Pastor Chad Ashby. Okay, what can encourage us as we wait? Well, I think one thing is to realize, getting back to these missionaries, most of them in the moment didn't realize God was using them. Right. Now, certainly it's easy for us to see. Looking back, we're like, wow, look what God did. But, for instance, uh, a man like David Brainerd, he served as a missionary for only four years, died at 29 of tuberculosis, had labored with the Native Americans, only saw a handful of people saved, passed away. By his own account, by any account, that would be considered basically a failure. He wasted his life, right? After he passes away, Jonathan Edwards compiles his diary, publishes it. It goes on to become the most, the best-selling religious work of the 19th century. Really? 
and it uh, it fuels the passion of men like William Carey, John Wesley, Adoniram Judson, uh, Jim Elliot, whom we mentioned before. Um, these missionaries clung to this his diary as as an encouragement, and often it, it was one of the things God used to drive them into the mission field. So we just never know what how God may use us. Often. It's only in hindsight we realize right. That's good. what God's yeah. doing. Isn't that an encouragement that God's story is so much more gigantic than we ever could imagine right. and so much more intricate and beautiful? And, you know, our part in it, I think, is really just about surrender mm-hmm. more than it is anything I else. I think of this phrase. Someone uh, joined us years ago and they used the phrase, I want to be wholly available which mm. I love, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, if I follow these practices that you're talking about, Chad, about about striving to be holy, about being faithful, about being encouraged, I'll be wholly available, and then I'll be with the Lord. And, of course, the short time we have here on this earth feels like it won't be wasted at all. It'll be good. I was thinking about, again, this idea of just the angst of, I just want God to use me. And, angst. you know, in, in a lot of ways, we on out of one side of our mouths, we'll say, I really want God to use me. But then out of the other side of our mouth, um, we complain about the hardships in our lives. And uh, the, thing about, the thing about being used is, uh, for instance, my, my mother-in-law, the first Christmas I was in the family, she bought me a toolbox with a bunch of bright, shiny new tools in it. Nice. Yeah. And uh, over the past 10 years, I've used those tools, the screwdrivers and uh, hammers, and when I first got them, they were all shiny and new. Now they're covered in paint stain and they're <laughs> dull. Well, why? Because I've used them. Yeah. And those things have been put through some abuse. Well, we say, God, I want you to use me. But when God does use us and it gets a little painful, then all of a sudden. <laughs> we're not so bright and shiny. That's right. Yeah, so we got to be ready. If God's going to use us, it may be a little painful. That wraps up this edition of The Christian Outlook. If you enjoyed the program, share it with a friend. Send them to ChristianOutlook.com to subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. For executive producer Russell Shubin, producers Charlie Richards and David Posehan, Mike Cook, Alex Perez, and Nick Malone, I'm Kevin McCullough. Join us again next time for The Christian Outlook.